Welcome to Kingdom Family Talks, the podcast of Leif Hetland and Global Mission Awareness. Hello, everyone. This is Leif Hetland, and I have this great honor to welcome all of you to Kingdom Family Talk. And I've been so excited to be able to uh, actually introduce you to Mark Siliander. And uh, he is now there in Charlotte, sitting in his beautiful eagle's nest. And I just want to make sure because I, I think that the thing that excites me is because a lot of the things that many of you know that I've been doing for all these different years, that here is a father that uh, even uh, before I started has also been a bridge builder, has learned the language of love, and it is the language the blind eyes can see and the deaf ears can hear. And Mark, it is such an honor just to see you and for the people that are listening, they just get to hear you. So welcome to our Kingdom Family Talk. Hey, thank you. It's been a uh, ex- exciting opportunity for me to be with the ambassador of love. So I should call you in my world, you know, in Congress and diplomacy, we'd call you your excellency because uh, you are a true ambassador for the king of all kings and, and for the greatest part portfolio of love. Wow. Now that, that, that means a lot. Yeah, it was kind of a fun because October 15 is when the president of Pakistan officially gave me a national peace award. And I have it right over here in the office. It says yeah. the ambassador of love. And, uh, <laughs> Wonderful. And then also we just were the prime minister of Kashmir and the president of Kashmir. And it was the same thing when they introduced me. There was all these other leaders. and But when they introduced me to come in, it was to be the ambassador of love. So it's one of the biggest privileges to be able to represent the king and uh, just to be able to learn and start to practice the language of love. So uh, now it, it is such a privilege. Can you just share a little bit of your background and your story? Because some of the people maybe do not know who you are sure. and uh, some of the journey where you came from. Yes, thanks, Leif. I was uh, elected at 21 years old to a town council, still in graduate school studying political science, then three terms in the state Congress, then three terms in the U.S. Congress, and a gentleman named Derek Prince, who has passed away now, he uh, gave me a word that I should prepare to become an expert in the Middle East and foreign policy. And at that time, as a 28 or 9-year-old young congressman, I had no interest in foreign (laughs) policy, no interest in anything like that at all. But... uh, And I argued with him, and he's from Britain, and in his British characteristic manner said, well, you may argue with the Holy Spirit if you wish. (laughs) But to make a long story short, within months, I was on the Foreign Affairs Committee, traveling all over the world. Since then, which is several decades ago, I've been to 145 countries and territories. Wow. I don't think as many as you, Leif. Yes, you beat me. I have 102, <laughs> 102 countries. <laughs> All right, well, as you're, we're catching up. So it's been an overwhelming experience, and the Lord has given me this uh, uh, inspiration. In Arabic, it's called Ilham Allah, inspiration from God, that wow. I should study the Hebrew of the Old Testament, the Aramaic language of Jesus in the Peshitta, which is a fourth century New Testament, and then the Arabic of the Quran, 
And I'd find ways of synergizing and finding bridges and common ground to issues between Christians and Muslims that heretofore have been impossible. I thought that was a little bit extraordinary since I'm not a scholar. My degrees are in business and political science. So within a few years, uh, we started noticing amazing synergies. Leif, I'll sort of leave it at that. I've traveled all over the Muslim Christian world from Wheaton College to Khartoum University, sharing this research to real experts and real scholars, which I am not. And they were have been embracing it for years now. And I wrote a book about it back in 2009 called A Deadly Misunderstanding and about ready to publish a second book kind of as a follow-up. So that I hope that summarizes it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there yeah, no, it is. It was actually fun. I was just in Texas and a group of CEOs came to meet with me and we were sitting down and then uh, they they were very much interested because all of them are doing businesses like in Morocco, Saudi Arabia and other places. And they just wanted because of some of my involvement in the Middle East. And then they said, we you know, we all been sitting there and we're reading this book, A Deadly Misunderstanding by oh. Mark Selyander. So, and they we ended up actually using the book as a very good bridge to be able to communicate and and, and learning how to relate. Uh, I am interested a little bit about just even your walk with Jesus. How did you meet Jesus? Uh, you, you mentioned even Derek Prince. We were honored to receive one of every one of his books and messages. So we were one that he gave to Bill Johnson, myself, and somebody else, Derek Prince Ministry. So right here in my library, I have all of Derek Prince's work as a gift. So we steward the memory stones of Derry Prince. But could you just share a little bit about you meeting Jesus, getting to know the Holy Spirit, knowing Papa God and his love? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just summarize it. 13, I had an experience with Jesus being a Christian scientist. But, you know, at 13, I didn't know what that meant even. And I met a young friend who took me to uh, what they called the Iwanis. It's like a Christian yep. Boy Scouts. And I met Jesus. I ran home and told my mom, oh, I met Jesus. And she said, oh, Jesus is a great person. She was a Christian scientist. My dad, an agnostic uh, atomic engineer designing atom smashers. Years later, uh, I met uh, the Holy Spirit in uh, the state legislature mm. when I, in the first term as a state congressman, not a U.S. yet. And it was so powerful. I met Derek Prince for the first time when I was in my mid-20s, and he had a word for me. He called it a key. Like if it was a word from from God, he called it a key Mm. to unlock your destiny. And he told me I should prepare to run for the U.S. Congress. And I thought that was foolish because the person then would be there forever. And then again, he once again said, well, argue with the Holy Spirit (laughs) in his British accent. (laughs) So anyway... So I did prepare to run. Sure enough, the congressman, who was a young incumbent, was appointed budget director by the president. So I ran his vacancy, got elected, and then the Holy Spirit just kept uh, revealing, revealing. And then later on in life, I met some very difficult sufferings, too. Mm. So and the sufferings have proven in retrospect, and we can go to them later if you wish, the sufferings have actually been more productive in my character and love for Jesus 
And as your, your humble deputy ambassador of love, uh, then I did when I was, everything was going perfectly well, publishing books and getting elected, traveling the world, that's, that's glamorous life. But there's also a dark side that the enemy uh, allowed me, uh, ed me, the enemy put me through and Yahweh, God, allowed me to uh, get through it successfully. And we have a saying here, and I think John Wimber was probably the original behind this that says, I only trust people that walk with a limp. <laughs> and, and I think it's a, it's, it's a connection to, like with a Jacob story, I have a limp myself, but where we, we often say that in our family, we just had our big kingdom family gathering in Colorado this weekend. Mm. And, it, and it's been a statement that all of us have is because with Jacob, he had his wrestling match with God. Mm. And like, I'm not going to let go of you until you blessed me. And it is not until we are got totally pinned. That's how he wrestled with God and won because the scripture says he wrestled with God and he won. And he did it by getting pinned. And there's a place in our life where we wrestle with God and our biggest strength, the hip joint, the hip socket has been touched. And we are no longer operated from strength, but from weakness. And that's when God goes in and, and we are no longer a Jacob. We become an Israel. We become a prince. We get to represent the king when we have that limp. So, uh, and so that's something we have in common that we, <laughs> if we work with a limp. <laughs> so can you tell me a little bit about that? Because for us, the vulnerability, humility, the limp is a very important part that so many people want the resurrection without crucifixion. Yes. Well, as, as we started collecting these Aramaic from Jesus and the Arabic of the Quran, identifying areas, for example, to come to some reasonable agreement on is Jesus the son of God or not? Hmm. In Islam, they say no, emphatically. Christians say yes, emphatically. And the Trinity and the divine nature of Jesus, even the cross. Hmm. Uh, and I found the, that linguistically, not an argument of theology, but logic, grammar, and Semitic, meaning Hebrew, Arabic, and Aramaic linguistics, we can take from the opposite, the antithesis, theologically, to splitting hairs as much as we do as Christians. So I, and I started traveling to, like, Gaddafi in 1999, uh, explaining this to him and his, his uh, regime, and it was a very difficult meeting, and they were very angry, thinking we were trying to convert them, had a misunderstanding. The whole thing was a disaster, so my friend and I named Doug Coe and I were sitting in Tripoli. No one knew we were there but the CIA and the Libyans. We went without a passport, without a visa. We, it was a private, Gaddafi's private plane. So he could have easily dumped us in a lake, <laughs> a river. So uh, I apologize. The Holy Spirit fell powerfully in the intense, the most intense moment. And we shared with him an apology for killing his daughter, a U.S. missile strike, trying to kill him. We killed his daughter by mistake. And immediately that asking wow. of forgiveness, which is part of the process of love, yeah. humility, you know, create a safe environment, be authentic. Anyway, these aspects of biblical love, all of a sudden the mood changed. Mm. Then he said, we're going to release the two Libyans who blew up the Pan Am General Lockerbie, Scotland, and you Westerners can, can, can uh, try them. And 10 days later, he did. And we worked for a year and a half with the Royal Pro with Gaddafi. In the meantime, 2001, 
I went to in secret meetings with Saddam's regime trying to stop the war. Now I'm Republican background. And I knew Dick Cheney, who is now the vice president in 2001 and two. I served in Congress with him and begged them, him and the State Department, begged them not to go to war because it'd be a mistake because they're willing to collaborate and cooperate, but no one from America will speak to them. I'm the only person, I'm a former official. I wasn't even in, you know, a sitting congressman at the time. And they basically threatened me with treason if I didn't back off. In the meantime, I backed off and then the massacres, genocide and rapes in Darfur began in the Western part of Sudan. And Lord opened up doors, as he does for you so frequently, Leif. I read about your 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 travels, and to me, I'm blown away how <laughs> remarkable uh, God is using you. I mean, it's what what a dynamic person. So we go and see Bashir. The doors open. We pray with him. I share these, and in each instance, I share. We were sharing. Look at the Quran says Jesus is not the Son of God. The Bible says he is, but actually the Quran uses the word begotten, and the word begotten means sexually conceived, and all Christians would rebuke any idea that God had sex with Mary, because God just blew his Holy Spirit into Mary, a virgin, and they would leap out of their seats, and they, that's what we believe. I said, I know. We Christians and, and you Muslims actually believe the same things, but it's been covered by bitterness and hate and politics and extremism and misunderstandings of the text. Well, each place, Gaddafi, Saddam Hussein and his regime, Omar, they embraced these ideas. We became connected, but they're all wrapped around in, in your ambassadorship anointing the, the, the what we call the algorithm of love. It's seven yeah. factors from the Bible to embrace and seven factors to avoid. We simply engage in that without any pretense, breaking bread, hugging and praying, whether they're the worst murderers of the world or Mother Teresa. Mm. And every time it worked, and all of a sudden, I got indicted for working with Muslims by my enemies inside the Dick Cheney neoconservative. I indicted on false charges and Former U.S. attorney generals came to my aid. Every person in the world came to try to help me. All these top lawyers, conservative Republicans, even a few Democrats. Mm. But they indicted me because they wanted to stop my book from being published just in 2008. They wanted to, um, they wanted to destroy my work overseas, the Muslims, because they were losing leverage with these despot regimes because they began behaving. The Holy Spirit would fall on them <laughs> and they'd start behaving. Come on. And they'd say, what you're doing? I said, I'm doing nothing. <laughs> so what do you mean you're doing nothing? I said, Just show up and love. They said, oh, I can't in your podcast tell you what they said in quote, but the vernacular they use, they just don't believe these guys who go to church uh, every Sunday, they work in politics and they believe it on Sunday, but when you tell them you just show up, the Holy Spirit will do it by just loving your enemy. They reject that categorically. Come on. Wow. Yeah. It's just been interesting. I just uh, had a trip in, uh, I've done it twice this last year, both in Pakistan and Kashmir. 
Well, because Norway burned the Al-Quran in Christian sun. There was just one maniac that just decided to dishonor the Muslim's holy book. And so I went, as a Norwegian, I went, met with both the president of Pakistan, but also the president and the prime minister of Kashmir. But I went on a round trip all around, including in the King's Mosque, the Bachai Mosque, and just went around to apologize, to restore honor that we, first of all, we Christians don't do that. And people that are representing heaven and representing a loving father, we do not do that. And it was just amazing to see how we restored trust and relationship by just coming in and humble yourself. And I feel this is what Jacob also did after this encounter he had with God. One of the first thing he did when Esau, who married into Ishmael's family, he came with vengeance. But now Jacob, he bowed down seven times, which is a test of humility after his own brokenness. Now he's coming with brokenness. Mm. And what you saw with Esau, something changed in the environment. And Esau, who was full of terrorism and rage and anger. He embraced his brother and you saw reconciliation taking place. And I saw that from city to city, from place to place where there was a lot of rage, the environment starts to change. So I think that when God changes us, our environment, we can also be environment changer and we can represent the very environment of heaven here on earth. Yes, so, you know, you articulated so perfectly, you know, the biblical construct for why people will all of a sudden just behave. You know, Esther, Nehemiah, they worked with horrible kings, but the Holy Spirit fell on them, not in them per se, but on them. And they, and they did what God's messenger asked them to do. So, so here we are, the whole world is the most exciting place. We're about ready to work with Palestine and Hezbollah and all these uh challenging cases. And Ban Ki-moon, who was uh, the UN Secretary General at the time, he and I were working very closely in deploying United Nations peacekeepers in Darfur. You know, I mentioned it mm -hmm. earlier with the mass rapes and genocide, and it was very successful. So instead of an award, they give you, my country was nervous about the traction getting with senators and congressmen and European uh, parliament members, and even Ban Ki-moon, who's a Buddhist background, <laughs> incidentally. And they said they had to stop me. And that even Trump, whatever you think of, I'm not promoting, all the people around him, his, his lawyers, his General Flint, people close to him, he's the president. And they were picking people off like they were easy game. Mm. And so what could I do, a former congressman, you know, once they're in your crosshairs, there's nothing you can do, no matter, unless the Holy Spirit intervenes directly. And the Holy Spirit did, but the Holy Spirit allowed me to go to prison mm. for a year and a day. And in four months, it's going to be released. And then they brought, bring me and say, I have good news and bad news. As if it wasn't bad enough, you know, being indicted for years, suffering under the completely financially where we're, all our fines, finances were gone. They sent me to a high level prison. So as a former congressman working with Muslims, someone, the skinheads, the gangbangers, someone would kill me, find out and kill so, me. Yeah, they sent me to a high, not a camp, you know, where it's real easy. You sit back and picnic table. This was barbed wire movements. I went to two prisons. One was, medium and the other was high maximum with killers and rapists and anyway it was terrible 
Then, so only four months. I said, well, I'm out now. The Lord brought skinheads to Jesus. The Lord brought (laughs) gangbangers. The same process of loving unconditionally and sharing my heart about trying to find bridges between different faiths, work with the Nazi, bald guys with huge swastikas on their bald heads and arms full of Hitler pictures. I mean, it was stunning. Wow. Gang bangers, Latino uh, M13 gang with with tattoos on their eyelids, Leif. How they do wow. that, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but we were all praying together, and the whole prison was in an uproar, so they wanted to get rid of me. So they said, okay, you can go home now. <laughs> but then they discovered this huge lump on my upper thigh turned out to be a terminal uh, sarcoma, and they gave me three months or less to live. So the good news, you're being released. The bad news, you're going to die in three months or less, confirmed by Duke University with help of congressmen, of course, because in prison, you don't have much, you know, leverage. And also Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. So here I am, no money. My wife is essentially homeless. Our kids are up and down, our four children with all the turmoil and terminal cancer. And no one's ever survived this. It's a cancer called rhabdoid sarcoma, usually in children and and no adults and a few that have had it die in six months. So anyway, uh, I decided to transfer to a prison hospital because I didn't have a quarter million dollars to be treated. And we had no Obamacare here in the United States at the time. Mm. And here, eight and a half years later, late, I'm no cancer completely wow. restored. <laughs> My family's restored a reputation, you know, up and it's still there, but climbing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, but that's not the important thing. The heart and love and our work is exploding all over the world. And we're just trying to struggle to figure out where to go next and what work doors the Lord will open up that he wants us to walk through. It's incredible. It's incredible. I'm interested in a little bit of your book, Deadly Misunderstanding. I think that people need to get this as well as but describe a little bit of what you are doing here as a, as a bridge builder. And as I was saying, you were an ambassador before I knew what an ambassador was. And, uh, and, but you have represented heaven in a very good way. So describe uh, what value this will have. And, and I, it was a tremendous revelation when I read it. And I'm going to read it again. The first time I've read it was, uh, to be honest, I just learned a lot. But the second time I want to read it is to be changed and to be transformed by it. Well, thank you for asking, Leif. The book was ba- is basically written like a novel. It's nonfiction, but a novel of traveling to different countries and presenting the findings between the the Hebrew, the Old Testament, the Aramaic of the New Testament, the Arabic of the Quran, how we can find new synergies and common ground. I never forget going to uh, the Discover Islam Foundation in the Middle East, in Bahrain. And they said, well, we're never going to find, we're never going to agree on the crucifixion. Mm. I said, well, why not? I said, well, the Muslims, the scholar says, well, you Christians think Jesus was crucified and the Quran says he wasn't. And I said, respectfully, does it really say that? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, Surah, so I know that I've studied the Quran for 18 years. It says Surah 4157 says, they said in boast that they killed the Messiah 
the son of Mary, but they killed them not, nor did they crucify him for sure. They killed him not. He goes, there it is. How could you see that any other way? I said, I agree with every word. You do? I said, yes, because the they are reflective of Jews, correct? The rest of that chapter is about the Jewish people. And he thinks for a minute, oh, yes. And did the Jews kill Jesus? They conspired, the leaders, but the Romans killed, killed Jesus. It was illegal for anyone but Rome to crucify prisoners. Wow. So I believe the Quran is simply, rather than attacking that verse, Leif, we, say, we embrace and say it's correcting historical error. Some Jews, years, you know, over hundreds of years, claim we got rid of that so-called Messiah. Mm. So it's a nuance. So if this is ambiguous at best, what does the rest of the Quran say? And they'll, they'll look at me, we don't know. Well, <laughs> Jesus speaks of his death and his resurrection mm. twice. Allah says, I will have you killed. Jesus, and then bring you up. I say, what do you think? So where am I going wrong? And they say, well, they don't know what to say. So I'm not trying to attack Islam or the Quran. We've tried that for several centuries. It doesn't work. I'm trying to look for verses in it that are, have been, in my opinion, misunderstood, hence the title of the book, A Deadly Misunderstanding. Wow. Yeah, and I believe that honor is what love looks like. Honor is what love looked like. And so when you start to get the same I've seen, when I start to honor them, and then you can start to build a bridge over to start to connect. When I'm saying, hey, uh, let, let us look at this together. Uh, we were actually sitting here, one of the, yeah, I don't want to mention his name, but he, about 60 million Muslims listen to him every day because he has the media mountain in Islam. And very influentially, he was sitting right across here in this office. We had also been, yeah, Bob Roberts was there, but it was in the end of President Obama's term. They had a Freedom Act. And I brought some scholars from the Middle East to that meeting at the National Cathedral. And then he came into this office and we were just sitting there. And he was, I put the Al-Quran in Arabic on the top of my bookshelf. And then the Bible, the Holy Bible, on the other side. So when he looked, he picked it. Oh, the, the Al-Quran. And he sat and was reading in Arabic a few surah or verses from me. And as he was doing that, the presence of Jesus in this office just filled the office up. <laughs> and he said, what are you doing to me? I said, what are you talking about? He said, I feel this tingling. It's going up and down. Mm. And we had up in this conversation, but he got totally healed. So I was just there at his mosque, but he got totally healed from a stomach condition he had had for mm. 12 years. And he says that that day Jesus healed me. So in front of all the other scholars, he was testifying about just the miracle of Jesus and what Jesus did and how the present had felt that totally changed his view. And now to see, I mean, his, his whole worldview has changed because of the encounter of love that he had. So now he starts to see the needs of people. So even his... You can say you know, all of the people and the scholars around him, he started to practice the language of love. And you can see it on him. You can see it on, from girls getting school education in the villages. He's now suddenly seeing all these needs that was around he had never seen before because he had inshallah. But now he's going in there and he starts to actually practice love 
in such a tangible way that the people around it has been so affected, including his two wives and his family. So it's a, just a very beautiful testimony of what honor looks mm. like. When I just honor him for who he is and instead of who he is not and honor his holy book, what, what he value, I value. And when I started to do that, I started to see how heaven is so attracted to honor and heaven is so attracted to the language of love. You know, Leif, uh, we, you have the language, or we call it uh, an algorithm, because it's so, these seven factors to embrace and seven to avoid, and one of those seven that we've drawn from the scripture to avoid is shaming, don't shame. So what's the opposite? <laughs> Honor. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, so when yeah. that's instituted yeah. in almost any environment, whether it's a pr- hostile prison, mm with you know killers and rapists tough people whether it's overseas and then finally i came home from central africa republic and we were working on getting french hostages released which they were hmm. and the, and even the militias there are muslim and christians killing each other there and they said it was as if god came down from heaven when we heard the words well we didn't say anything we just loved yeah. <laughs> and honored, and we had to release the hostages immediately. Wow. And the funny thing is, Leif, we never asked them to do anything. <laughs> yeah. They just did it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I came home, bragged to my wife, oh, the hostages are released. They're going to get together at the peace table. They've been boycotting for years. And my wife says, well, you know, you're, you're a big hypocrite. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so you went all over the world hugging all these nice people and murderers and butchers and militia leaders but yet one of your three daughters is estranged from you hmm. wow well that hurt because she was totally correct hmm. so I'll make a very long story condensed i prayed to the lord i said if i don't re- reconcile using the same algorithm or language of love the seven things am i doing the seven the guess what Leif? no surprise i wasn't doing any of the seven and now wow. the things to avoid i was doing all the things not to do i mean it was just <laughs> the opposite so no wonder i had a i was a hypocrite so i prayed tried it out and now we're inseparable for years wow so the lord is really faithful mm. in love if jesus you know he is the life giver He's offered us, God is inviting us, you know, to life through Jesus, the life giver who gave life to the dead in the Bible and the Quran, who gave life, better life to the sick, the lame, the blind, and the leper, who in the Quran gave life to clay birds. Now, who could mm. breathe on mud other than God himself and create anything living like Adam? Hello, the second Adam, Jesus. <laughs> so, um, and so he's, he's our life giver. Now and now in eternity. Wow. So if you were going to give advice to an average person that is out there, how can they actually learn the algorithm of love? How can they learn the language of love? What sure. would be... Because you, I, you mentioned, I think it's a very good place to make a circle of even in, if you are married for your spouse or children. And you can start to practice. You don't have to go to the Middle East, but you can sure. start right at home and look in the mirror and, 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 and receiving, first of all, that love from God. Have you, by the way, have you had any encounter with God's love yourself? Because it changed my life after I had what I call a baptism of love with liquid love from Papa. That changed my view of God. 
my view of myself, to my view of the world, my view of Muslim, my enemies. It changed everything and encounter with love. And Derek Prince also had one in the end of his life. He describes, he met Papa. He knew everything about the fatherhood of God, but he describes his love encounter. Have you had any love encounters with God that marked you? <laughs> Absolutely. Overwhelmingly. The Hebrew word is mikvah. Like it's an immersion Whoa. of hab and rahm. Whoa. <laughs> These are the two Semitic words for love. See, wow. one means friendship, relationship, romantic, kindle. But the rahm is like a tender mercies. It's like it means the womb in the root. So when you see a baby born or a baby in your wife or child's womb, which we I have, of course, mm. How do you feel when you hold that little firstborn baby? How do you how do you feel? These tender mercies are really these. The hub is good, the friendship kindle, but the, when the tender mercy immers, immersion comes, a mikvah. Whoa, boy! <laughs> the power of the ruha kodesh, the spirit of the holy one, is Whoa. permeates, and you end up weeping. And your heart changes. It's a baptism of the heart. I don't know if that's yeah. in the Bible. I call it a baptism of love. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> baptism of love. Hey, and both the love. See, the critical I discovered from a, I don't want to get technical, but there are two loves in the Semitic. I know there are four in Greek, but there are two all wrapped up. And Jesus said, if we don't love God and love our neighbor, could be our enemy. Hmm or a persecutor. Both were a half-breed. So yes, you run around loving people over the world. You don't love your own dog. You're a half-breed. And incomplete and the shalom, completeness uh, isn't with you. No wonder there's no peace in the world. No wonder there's no justice in the world because love is the missing factor. And I'll conclude with this thought. The main reason is because we don't know how to express it. Mm. So if people would learn, could go. I have a tr- website too, trac, the number five dot org, track, trac, five dot org, the number five. Or you could just look up the algorithm of love and it should come up somewhere. But anyway, unless we learn simple things, there's two kinds of loves expressed in these seven simple, seven things to embrace and just avoid the other seven. The, your, your whole world will change. Your heart will change. You, Papa will become Abuni, which is Aramaic for my father. <laughs> Babuna Bishmeya, for our father in heaven. It becomes real. Wow. Le, le, not a, a fake, not <laughs> yeah. a fake kumbaya around the fire. <laughs> yeah. I, love, I can even feel the presence while you are talking right now. <laughs> yeah. Do you mind just praying for us? Because we believe in impartation. We yes. believe we teach what we know we reproduce who we are. We can release what Papa has given us, freely we receive, freely we give. So I would love, and I do want to encourage anyone that are listening to be able to go on the website, get the book, but also if you want to support and even uh, help to hold up the arms of Mark as he's going into some of the places that some of you maybe cannot go, but you can join Mark in it. I encourage you to be involved and to help. And I, I look forward to partner with Mark and even coming over to Charlotte and hang out and, and even just to be able to, to practice the language of love together can you pray for us (laughs) thank you wow Mm. Yeshua 
I'm, as I watch um, the computer and the spirit and his heart, this is just beaming. You've done a special work in his life, unique. People, so of us talk about love, but how many really have the portfolio, the credentials to do it? And as an ambassador of love, he's been given the baptism of love, the immersion of love. The Holy Spirit has penetrated his, even his inner being and taken a heart that we put the shield of righteousness over that heart, which is the center of love. And isn't it, Lord, you're not a, you have such interesting uh, (laughs) factors that the word for the righteous is also justice. So if we want to see justice in our life and our families, justice inside of a prison cell, justice inside of our communities, we just put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is justice, and covering our protecting our hearts, and then we exude so, the hub, the friendship kindled love that Jesus speaks of, and the rahum, this tender mercies, like a newborn baby, this impassioned, deep, tender mercies. Lord, release, continue release that in a life's life. The, yeah. the, one of the only true ambassadors of love, empowered, immersed in the Holy Spirit that I've ever met anywhere. Am I someone who actually knows how to practically express in Mm. functional behavior and in the spirit, how to express this depth of love? (laughs) I thank you for him and his work. I just pray now that the spirit of the Holy One will continue to guide and open the doors and, and make him now the president the emperor of love. We're going to give you an upgrade from ambassador <laughs> to the emperor under the kingdom <laughs> of the kingdom of the Babuna Bishmi, our father in heaven. <laughs> You're now the emperor of love. <laughs> in the name of Yeshua, <laughs> the Messiah. <laughs> Yeshua. Whoa. Yeshua. Amen. Amen. Amen.